You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. parable of the talents Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 to 30 My dearly beloved brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ we come tonight to consider the parable of the talents as recorded in Matthew 25 verses 14 to 30 just regurgitating a bit we when we did the 24th chapter of Matthew which as you would have appreciated was the Olivet prophecy You may remember the the parable which followed that about the good man of the house and his reward of good and faithful servants, uh, the wise and faithful servants, as verse 45 of chapter 24 says, Who then is a faithful and a wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them their meat in due season? And then, of course, in Matthew 25, the Lord uh, expands that idea of the, of the wise and the faithful. And at our last class, we considered together, of course, the, the parable of the ten virgins, where we had the emphasis upon the wise. And three times in that parable, in Matthew 25, verses 2, 4, and 9, uh, we have mention of the wise uh, virgins in that particular parable. Now here in the parable of the talents, of course, the emphasis is upon faithful. As we have that in verse 21, Thou hast been well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's repeated again in verse 23. And so now we've got the emphasis upon faithful. Now brothers and sisters, there is really no better way, as a matter of fact it's almost imperative to to do this, there's no better way to uh, understand the parable of the talents than to consider it in relation to the parable of the pounds as given in Luke chapter 19 and verses 12 to 27. Now you have to see that these two parables are so different. They're not compared, they're contrasted. And and the contrast is quite marked. And it's in that very contrast that the meaning of the parable of the talents and of the pounds is seen. Without, Without this contrast it would be in the main, lost. Just look at the contrast. In the parable of the pounds, it's a nobleman. In the parable of the talents, it's a householder. In the parable of the pounds, the the parable is spoken to the multitude. In the talents, it's spoken to his disciples. The pound was of a small value, the talents is a rather large value. In the parable of the pounds, the pound is distributed equally. In the talents, they are distributed unequally. In the parable of the pounds, although the pound is distributed equally, the rewards are proportionate, they're different. In the parable of the talents, though the talents are distributed unequally, the rewards are the same. Now that is extremely important because what we learn by that, com- that contrast is this. The pound represents 
the truth. Everyone who's in the truth has got the truth. Some live that better than others, and all those who attempt to live it will be, of course, in the kingdom, and they'll be rewarded according to their efforts, their faithful efforts in doing what they could with the truth. And some will do better than others, and so rewards will be proportionate. But in the talents, the talent represents ability. And ability is God-given. And therefore, when it comes to ability, it's inevitable that a brother or a sister with more ability than most is going to do the most and is going to do it better. But God does not reward ability. He rewards faithful use of the ability which we have, whether it be great or small. Hence, the rewards are the same. Now, that's very encouraging. It's very encouraging to consider that. Because there are many brothers and sisters in our meeting, I would say probably the majority, who who would feel that they are, well, they're not so talented, as we might say, as others are, and they feel perhaps that they're not as important in the ecclesial uh, scene, uh, and that perhaps they're not going to be um, rewarded as well, perhaps as others in the kingdom. Well, they, they, they mustn't think that. Because whether we've got one talent or 50 talents, it doesn't matter. God is not going to reward ability or, the, or he's going to punish the lack of ability. He's going to reward the faithful use of whatever ability we have. And that is very encouraging. Well, let's look at the parable then. It, it is, has three very natural divisions. Verses 14 to 15, the departure of the householder. He goes away. In verses 16 and 18, the occupation of the servants while he's away. And then verses 19 to 30, we have the very dramatic return of the householder. In itself, brethren and sisters, a very plain, unmistakable teaching concerning the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the departure of the householder. Matthew chapter 25 and and verse 14 is where we're starting. and, And here we read in verse 14... For the kingdom of heaven is as a man. And you will notice straight away that there are a number of words in italics there. The RSV has a rather interesting rendition of that uh, phrase in the Greek. It reads like this, For it, it will be as when a man goeth on a journey. In other words, for it will be, is really, it's a complimentary comment to the parable of the virgins. It's, it's, it's saying, well, here's a continuation of my theme of faithful and wise and faithful so it will be as when a man goeth on a journey and of course he he gives these um, he calls unto him his own servants they're not anybody else's servants they're his own and and the apostle makes the point in in Romans 14 and and verse 4 which if you like to turn this up here uh, in Romans 14 and verse 4 He says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him to stand. So there there is a warning about making rash and foolish judgments about God's servants. They're, They're his own. So he calls this man, this householder, calls his own servants, and they're answerable to him. And it says, in that 14th verse, he delivered unto them his goods. Now, now that's very important. The goods are not their own, they're his. They're God-given. Now, this servant, one particular servant, mentioned in verse 15, 
Under this servant he gave five talents, to another two and so forth, and to another one. Take this five talented man, not ten talents, not twenty, or not twelve, not fourteen, five. He's the top talented man. And it's interesting, brethren and sisters, that the top talented man has five of them. And as you know, the Apostle Paul uh, claimed to be, uh, although least of the apostles in the sense of, uh, of being worthy to be an apostle because he persecuted the ecclesia of God, yet when he was arrested on the way to Damascus, he, he was really made, you might say, the chief of the apostles. He, he became the ambassador of Christ to the Gentiles. And he really, in a sense, is a towering figure uh, among the apostles even though as he pointed out himself he may have been one born out of due time and, and where, how did he attain to that position he certainly was a top talented man but he said himself in the First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10 by the grace of God I am what I am and five undoubtedly is the number of grace so if we've got top talented brethren and sisters in our meeting and we are we, we are if favoured in a lot of our ecclesial circles with very, very talented brothers and sisters in the truth who, whose understanding is keen, whose ability to express themselves is good and so on. Uh, well then, let's ever remember that that is by the grace of Almighty God. And it's not without significance that when the Apostle uh, was struck blind and remained so for three days that his eyes did not open until he was visited by a man that God had sent whose name means the grace of Yahweh, Hananiah. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And so this 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 five talented man therefore was blessed of God. And so the the, the verse goes on and it says, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. So you see, one gets five, another gets two, another gets one. But nobody misses out to every man according to his ability. So however many people may be sitting in the audience listening to this uh, study tonight, there's not anybody out there who hasn't got a talent. The, the, the house order didn't miss anybody. He didn't select certain people and make them the elite and left the rest devoid of any any opportunity whatever to serve him it says to every man so there's not a brother or a sister who isn't equipped in some way however poorly they may consider it to be they are equipped by the householder to do something with what they've got that's all God asks of anyone he doesn't ask anything beyond your capacity matter of fact this word several ability is actually the word dunamos in there and it really means within the power of the individual idios dunamos within the power of the individual now you take Paul as I mentioned in the second of Corinthians chapter 4 Paul understood this perfectly he's done no illusion as to where he got his ability and why and him and Apollos both of them together as mentioned in this chapter were very much aware of this and when he uh, he wrote to the Corinthians he pointed out to them that you know he says in the first Corinthians chapter 4 we'll turn that up in the first Corinthians 4 here and at verse 7 uh, he says 
For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory, or as the Greek word means boast, as if thou didst not receive it? You see what he's saying? If we've got ability, who gave us that ability? And if we admit that the ability was God-given, why do we act as if it was something that we ourselves had personally developed to our own credit? You see how how logical that is. So when a brother with great ability uh, gets carried away with that ability, he starts to lose sight of the fact that it's God-given. And in no time, it can be God taken away. God can take that away just as quick as he gave it. So Paul's under no illusion is to hear the Corinthians were admiring these great leaders and uh, he was among them, of course. But he was fully aware that by the grace of God he was what he was. Now the same thing in the first of Peter chapter 4. And these are important references because they really underscore what the, the whole principle of this parable. And in the first Corinthians 4 and verses 10 and 11, Peter says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when ye, when, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy so you see that this strange trial which is coming upon you he said we've got to rejoice because we are partakers of Christ's sufferings it's, it's, it's something which we we have as a result of our association with him and so he, he makes that point that it, it's, it's, the, it's not something that we do for ourselves it's something that we are doing on behalf of somebody else it, it's a God given ability that we've got to realise that we have in the truth. <laughs> so that is the section which deals with the uh, with the um, the householder departing and leaving these talents or abilities uh, with his own servants. Now we're coming back to the parable, and the Lord returns. So the occupation of the servant, or rather, the, this is the occupation of the servant, uh, is spoken of in verses 16 to 18 of this parable. So in verse uh, in Matthew chapter 25 again we go back to that where we were before and we take up the record now at verse 16 concerning the way in which these servants occupy. So in verse 16 we read Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made, with, made them other five talents. Now, it starts off by saying, he that received the five talents. Now, the, the RSV, picking up the tense in the Greek, renders that at once. So the man that had the five talents went at once. In Rotherham's translation, the emphasized Bible, he uses the expression, straightway. So you see, this man not only has ability, but he is enthusiastic to exercise that ability. There are occasions and have been occasions and will be occasions where brothers and sisters endowed 
by with ability from Almighty God have not been enthusiastic to use that. Some have even, I suppose, tried even to cover it up because to expose it means that they will be asked to do this or that, to occupy themselves in matters that they don't want to be occupied with. And we can be in a very, very difficult situation and a dangerous situation where having ability, we cover it up because we just don't want to be our time to be consumed in the work of the truth because we've got too much to do for ourselves. But this man didn't, wasn't like that. He went at once, straightway, to exercise that ability. Now, in, in that regard, let's turn to the second of John, chapter 8. The second epistle of John, in, in verse 8. Right? There's only one chapter in the second epistle of John. So we turn to verse 8. Look what he says here. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. The word wrought here in the Greek is the same word as gained in the parable. So what John is saying here, brethren, we've gained something from God. Get, really get into it. Be enthusiastic. Don't lose that. And that's what he's telling him. So you see, it's not only a question of ability, it's a question of enthusiasm to put that ability to work. And that's what the word in the parable, by the way, traded means. Actually, the Greek word means to toil. Ability, brethren and sisters, is not robotic. It's not something that is mechanical, that you turn on with a switch or with a press of a button. Ability is latent. It's got to be brought to the fore. It's got to be exercised. It's got to be trained. It's got to have experience. It's got to work. And it's got to work hard. And the problem with the one talented man was he didn't want to work hard. He, he was too tired to, to take a trip down to the bank. It, it, it was too far. He, he couldn't find the energy to get out of his chair and just take the money and deposit it at interest. That was too much for him. Ability does not automatically mean that we're going to go to work. We have to make a conscious decision to do that and to put that ability into practice and not to be like the chap who, who couldn't make that journey just to deposit the money. Well, his talents gained five other talents because of his ability to, or rather his enthusiasm, to put his ability to work. So he, he gained five other talents. And the same applied to the man with the two talents. Uh, he, didn't, he was a brother uh, or a sister, could be in this case, who, whose ability was not as great as the other, but th their rewards were, were the same because th th they exercised themselves to the limit of their ability. That, that was all that was required of them. Now what about the chap with the one talent? Well, he went. And he, he went and digged in the earth. He buried it. He was a man with earthly aspirations. That's where his mind was. He was of the earth, earthy. And that's where his ability went. Now, it, it's a very interesting uh, comparison that in the parable of the pounds, the man that had his pound, he, he went and hid it in a napkin. And in that, in the 19th chapter of Luke, that is, and in verse 20, you'll read that. And in that particular place, the word napkin is actually the word in the Greek used for the sweat cloth 
which was wrapped around the head of a corpse when it died. You'll find the reference to that, that use of that word in John 11 and verse 44 in relation to Lazarus and in John 20 and verse 7 where the napkin was laid aside by itself in the tomb of the Lord. And so that was the use of the word napkin. And this man, not in the parable of the talents that we're considering, but in the, matter of, in the parable of the ta- pounds, went and hid his pound in that napkin. He, he was, brothers and sisters, a deadhead. That's what he was. He was just a plain, simple deadhead. But this man went and digged it in the earth. And, and you can see, of course, the, uh, the relation of those things. If we're going to be deadheads in the truth, just, just absolutely useless and to just put the truth aside somewhere on a shelf and in our lives and sit back and just take our leisure and hoping that something will happen well, well then we're going to finish up in, in the grave and we've got, we've got our aspirations in the earth or finish in the earth we're going to get above that and what did the chap hide? well it didn't belong to him anyway you see this is the, this is the, the great um, the great error here this is where the problem is you see it says in that 18th verse he hid his lord's money his lord's money that's serious it's not as if the truth was invented by us and that we have the prerogative to tell people or otherwise we never we we never invented or we weren't the authors of the truth the truth belongs to almighty God it is his and we have no right whatever to bury that in the earth that, 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 is, that, that, that is a criminal act and will be punished accordingly it's also interesting brothers and sisters to understand this that in the case of this uh, hiding his lord's money the, the money in the Greek actually is silver he hid his lord's silver now let's have a look at Proverbs chapter 8 and to see how the wise man used the symbol of silver and gold in Proverbs chapter 8 and in verse 18 riches and honour are with me yea durable riches and righteousness my fruit is better than gold yea than fine gold and my revenue than choice silver I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of of the paths of judgment that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance and I will fill their treasure now who's talking who's the eye the eye is wisdom verse 1 doth not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice so wisdom and understanding has riches has silver now fancy going and burying that in the earth so here is a brother or a sister who has at least one talent because it was distributed to everybody who knows about the wisdom of God and understands the purpose of God and when opportunity presents itself buries it in the ground it's the Lord's silver and that will not be tolerated which is not to do that with the Lord's silver now coming back therefore to the parable what happens when, when the, such a person does that well verse 19 after a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them there'll be a reckoning brothers and sisters now that, that word reckoning is, is actually a very interesting word too 
really two words hyphenated the, the first word is logos word and then the other one is scenario which means to settle so that word reckoneth putting those two words together means he's going to come and settle his word so you see where the riches are the riches are in the Bible and we dare not bury that so when the Lord comes he's going to settle his word now Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 48 he said look I judge no man in other words I don't come to express any personal opinions based upon my my human understanding I, I don't do that says the Lord I, I don't judge he said there is one that judges them the word that I have spoken to them the same will judge him at the last day so you see what he's saying he's not going to come to express personal opinion based upon human experience he's coming brothers and sisters to uphold his father's word that's where the judgment will be in other words logos scenario he will settle his word that's what's going to happen when he comes back to call brothers and sisters in question not for their lack of ability not either for their great ability but with what they've done with it where has it gone what have they done with it has it been expounded has it been explained has it been lived has it been used to set an example or is it buried in the earth that's the question it'll be settled by his word well that brings us to the final section of the parable verses 20 to 30 the householder returns and this is the dramatic day this is the day of days and everybody is going to have to answer for him or herself well we come to verse 20 and so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents saying Lord thou deliverest unto me five talents behold I have gained beside them five talents more now here's a man that recognised the source of his ability it was no question in his mind whatever to whom those talents belong so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents saying Lord thou, thou deliverest unto me five talents you gave them to me didn't come and say haven't I been very very clever wasn't I blessed to be just born naturally like this no he says Lord you have delivered them unto me now you, you have a look at Isaiah 55 look, look what this is saying as the prophet here speaks about that which belongs unto God and how it returns to him and look how it returns to him this is like the five talented man and we come back here to Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11 for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud so that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth it shall not return unto me void but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it now, now note the emphasis so that the rain comes down and the snow from heaven but God does not get it back as rain and snow it comes back to him in another form it comes down as rain it comes down as snow it waters the earth and out of the earth 
comes forth that which the seed produces for the sower and bread to the eater. It, it produces enough both to feed a man and his family and to leave enough over to increase that supply. But it came down as rain and snow. Oh yes, the seed was necessary, but that also was made of God. But the seed, the ground, the rain and the snow, it didn't go back to God in, in order, oh, the rain went back, the snow went back, the seed went back, the ground went back. No, it didn't. It went back as bread. The, 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 the thing is that all that God had produced in creation and made, made available to the, to the farmer, he used it. He went out and it rained, sunshine or rain, he ploughed, he worked, he, he, put, he put in effort. And what was returned to God was loaves of thanksgiving, both in the meal offering and in what he, what he prepared for his own family, which sustained him. It was all given back to God in service, in another form other than he got it. And that's what God requires of us. We don't just give back to the Lord. Here it is, I've hid it. I'll go, I'll go and get it for you. The same thing. No, the Lord wants something developed out of that. He wants something developed. He wants us to work with that. And then that's what happened with this good and faithful servant. And so the Lord called him that in verse 21. He called him a good and a faithful servant. He was good because he did something in his Lord's service. Faith without works is dead, says James. Well, he had faith and it had works. So it was good because he did something in his Lord's service and he was faithful because he realised the source of the power that made him do it. He didn't lose sight of the fact. So he wasn't good in the sense that he had some intrinsic virtue in human nature. He was good in the sense that he did something in his Lord's service and he recognised that the power to do that did not reside in him naturally. Let's have a look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23. And in the 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 23, the Apostle says, Ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. You see, brothers and sisters, it, 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 we don't belong to ourselves. So, so as Jesus said in another little parable he said if you're a man who has a servant working for you and you, you come home at night and, and, and you, don't, you don't say to that servant well you've been working all day for me you better sit down and eat first and, and you can feed me later you don't do that he says you tell him that you, you want to be fed first and when you're finished then he can, he can go and, and look after himself that's what you tell him because you're the master and he's the servant he said so likewise you when you've done everything you really are unprofitable servants and here the apostle is saying, hey, we're bought with a price. We're not our own. So that we're not serving self. What we're doing is, is on behalf of someone whose price is so great that it produces a, a love and respect for him, such a love and respect that it, that it invokes a response. <coughs> so that, that is the, the motivating force which causes us to do these things. So the good and the faithful servant is good because he did something and he's faithful because he knew why he did it. Now the Lord says to this good and faithful servant that he's been faithful over a few things or as the RSV puts it over a little. Well that's a bit humiliating I suppose and that's what it's intended to be because who who has ever done everything they should have done? You know brothers and sisters there's we often hear this expression said and I wonder if we've ever pondered it I certainly have in my lifetime 
you know, we say, I've done my best. Well, in some cases we might have. But taking an overall view of your life, could you or I possibly say, I've done my best? Well, I'm ashamed to say that I have, that, that's not true of me. I, there's been a lot in my life when I could have done a whole lot more. And if we're going to make the kingdom, I can assure you that it because we'll be counted to be faithful over a very little. So even the talents we have are not used to their ultimate. They're certainly not. There'll be no cause of boasting. Well, this man who has been faithful in, to the extent that he's used his talents wisely, the Lord said he's going to be he's going to be made ruler over many things. He's going to make ruler over many things. If you go back to chapter 24 of Matthew and verse 47, you'll see what it is. He says, Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Not, not That is not the servant's goods, but the master's. So the many things are his master's goods. So we, we're going to be sharing with Christ that which belongs to him. So we're not going to get anything given to us in the kingdom that becomes a personal possession. We're just simply going to be going to be given the, the privilege to share with our master what he has gained. And he, he, he's, he's inherited the world. He, he's, the, he's the heir of the world, is, is the son of God. The heir of all things. He's the, he's the second to God in the universe. And so we're not going to get anything that's going to be superfluous to that. The many things is to be ruler over his master's goods. You know, to quote the apostle in another place, we're simply going to become joint heirs with Christ. And isn't that sufficient? Who'd want to be any greater? Is there anything that could be greater than that? Well, no, because it goes on to say, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Again, not into your joy, or that will be a personal joy. It doesn't say that. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Well, what was the joy of the Lord? We know exactly what it was. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the joy of the Lord. Well, you say, we're not going to heaven, and we're not going to sit alongside the Lord, who's alongside of his Father, and if we did, there'd be myriads and myriads of faithful there, then who would be the closest to put the question of Peter and John? Who'd be on his right and his left? But see, it doesn't really, it's not talking about literally doing those things. See, Jesus said in Revelation 3 and verse 21, To him that overcometh will I have to sit down in my throne as I am overcome and then sat down in my father's throne. Now Jesus didn't sit in his father's throne. What he did, the father delegated to him all power in heaven and earth to exercise the father's will. So that wherever the Lord is, in any part of the world, will be God's throne. The same will apply to us. We're not going to all be seated on, on, on individual thrones, all lined up either side of the Lord, just to do, sit there and do nothing. No, wherever we are in the kingdom, wherever we are in the millennium, whatever we do in the millennium, we'll be doing on behalf of our Lord. We'll be doing it in His name, as He did it in His Father's name, so we'll all be doing it in the Father's name, 
So we will sit down in his throne as he sat down in his father's throne. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now the man with two talents, we read in verse 22, came along. He, he has less success, but then he's got less ability. But the fact is, he's as good as the man that's gone before him because he did what he could with what he had. He couldn't do any more and he wasn't expected to do less. And so the same applies to him. Now we come to verses 24 to 30, the judgment of the one talent man. Verse 24, he came. The man that had the one talent came. Then he which had received the one talent came and said. Now you notice, brothers and sisters, it's very interesting, it's the low, talented man is the one who complains. Do you know, it, it is an observable fact of human nature and behaviour in the ecclesia of God that where there is a brother who is very talented there's always the very real danger of arrogance and boastfulness and where there is a brother or a sister who has not many abilities in this life there always seems to be complaint about those who've got the ability it is a quirk of human nature it is really a great <coughs> a great attribute to be able to say that if you are a person with great abilities and receive the accolades from your brothers and sisters to humble yourself and say well it's all God given and I'm no better than these people before me on the other hand if you're in the crowd and you don't feel you're doing any good and you, you feel that you're low talented it, it, it's equally commendable to say well I, you know, I'm ve I can't understand I'm not very quick at understanding I, I, I read slowly I can't read there what a lot of brethren read and I need help of others but I'm so thankful I'm in the truth and I'll just do what I can with what I've got and I'll cooperate with those who can help now you see those are not human traits but it is a fact that one talented people are those who do most complaining about those who've got talents it's just as much as a fact for those who have got the talents to be arrogant and boastful and both those things are wrong brothers and sisters success is not commended but faithfulness look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 12 success is not commended so much as faithfulness here Paul is dealing with the collection for the poor saints of Jerusalem now a collection you take up a collection there's a brother and sister whose brother hasn't got a very good job he, he's got a very poorly paid job he's got several children he's got a big mortgage he, he, he finds it hard for, for, to make ends meet the bag comes to him he's going to put in what he can afford brother sitting alongside of him is a brother who's retired early at 50-55 because he's got a, a fairly substantial bank uh, uh, account he's got his money invested hither and thither and he's got quite a bit of money he's going to put in a considerable amount in that bag God is not interested in the amount of money so much as in proportion as you gave as, as, as you've received so you give now you look what it says in, in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 12 for if there be first a willing mind it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to to that he hath not now that's concerning uh, 
collection of material things of money for the poor saints at Jerusalem it applies in every sense well, what God accepts is a willing mind it doesn't accept it according to a man, a man that hath or according to he hath not it's accepted according as a man is able to give within his means that's what really is important so when this low talented man came with his complaint he failed to see that he was a miserable failure because he, he was thinking above himself outside of himself of what he could possibly do in his own strength and, and willpower and he failed and because he failed he saw the Lord as a hard man now it's not true you see he goes through all this and it would almost seem in the parable that the Lord uh, acknowledges the fact that he's hard and does this and does that but, but he really doesn't because at the end he called him wicked and slothful it, it had nothing to do his lack of uh, enthusiasm his lack of effort had nothing to do with any bad characteristic of his Lord he was plainly wicked and slothful but this is how he saw his Lord saw him as a hard man verse 24 I knew you were a hard man the word means harsh or severe that is a completely wrong view of the Lord you know brothers and sisters a faulty view of our Lord will affect our service towards him how? because you see we keep saying don't we all of us that the great purpose which God has with the world is God manifestation that is what God wants to do is to develop a race of people who exhibit his characteristics or to put it in the words of Peter as Peter quotes Leviticus be ye holy says Yahweh as I am holy now if you've got a false view of Yahweh how on earth are you ever going to put into practice what he really is number one if your view of him that he's harsh and severe and your view of his son is the same then you won't even want to put that into practice you'll avoid doing it if on the other hand you have some twisted view of what is good and faithful and true and upright and you haven't got that right even then your life also is going to become distorted we cannot fulfil God's purpose with a wrong view of him because the purpose of our life is to emulate him that's so simple this man complained that that the, the, the master had, had taken up whether he had not sown and that wasn't true he was sullen you see and bitter and he claimed that the Lord demanded more than he deserved but Jesus had sown it's not true you know the sower went forth to sow and in the parable the Lord explained in very simple terms who the, what the parable meant and in the 13th chapter of the gospel of Matthew we have this statement in Matthew 13 verse 7 30, 37 he answered and said unto them he that soweth the seed is the son of man so it's not true and, and in John chapter 4 see he had sowed this man said he, he, he took up or he didn't sow he never did in John chapter 4 we have a similar expression it's just not true in John chapter 4 dealing of course here with the uh, uh, with the woman of Samaria at the end of that uh, incident 
verse 35 he, he said to his apostles or disciples he said say not ye that there are yet four months and then cometh harvest behold I say unto you lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest and he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together and herein is that saying true one soweth and another reapeth I sent you to reap that whereupon you sowed no labour other men laboured and ye are entered into their labours now you see when it says herein is that saying true one soweth and another reapeth that saying understood in one way as this wicked and slothful servant would understand it is really an expression of of an economic injustice oh, oh yeah one sows and another reaps but Jesus said I'm going to make that saying true true in the sense that here's a case where sowing and reaping will go together he's going to make it good and he did because here he's, here he's just convinced one woman of the truth he's put one seed in the ground and she's ran back to her compatriots back to the village of Sychar here his disciples join him just a few hundred yards from that village and here's the crowd running across to meet him and he's telling his disciples they're about to reap a harvest and he's just put the seed in a few minutes before now whereas in normal circumstances the seed would go in in one season and many weeks would go by before the crop would become to fruition here it's going to happen together I'm going to make it true I'm going to bring that to pass so when this wicked and slothful servant said that he, he, he reaped where he didn't sow he was wrong and, and we only enter into the, into the service in preaching the truth and the Lord Jesus Christ has sown that truth in the earth like nobody could ever sow it and had, he, had not he done that then we would go out to barren ground so this man had, had got a completely completely mis, misconception of who and what his Lord really is and that brothers and sisters is the essence of the truth that is to know him what he really is not to have a misconception of him but to know him as he really is and this man said that, that he had reaped where he had not strawed again the RSV comes to our rescue with that strange expression it says gathered where thou hast not winnowed but that wasn't true either look back in Matthew chapter 3 verses 11 and 12 we've got the words of John the Baptist and concerning the Messiah to be manifest he said in Matthew 3 verse 11 and 12 I indeed baptise you with water unto repentance but he that cometh after me is mightier than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear he shall baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire well here's a man that's winnowing but what's he winnowing? he's winnowing his harvest he will gather his wheat into the garner it's not anybody else's he's done all that and he's coming brothers and sisters to reap a harvest and if it's not there woe unto us that, that this man was really really on the wrong track he completely had misunderstood his Lord ah the truth of the matter came out in verse 25 of Matthew 25 we go back to the parable I was afraid there's the problem this man was fearful fearful in a different way than being reverentially fearful 
You see, Revelation 21 and verse 8 says, Without are all those, all the fearful, the whoremongers and so forth, and all the fearful, are, are there outside? Now, had that man had a godly fear, this is what he would have done. In the second of Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, See, godly fear is different than just being fearful. And in the second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, the apostle has this to say. He says, Having therefore these promises, this is verse 1, Second Corinthians 7 and verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting, perfecting holiness in the fear of God ah see so we can't perfect holiness without fear but it's a different fear isn't it it's a fear of God yes it, it, you can't uh, we cannot divorce that from a real abject fear of, of God as, as divine awesome all powerful beyond our comprehension frightening in that respect yes it's true but there's a love too that behind that great awe-inspiring vision which we might have there is a loving Heavenly Father a Heavenly Father who can understand and who, who wants to understand and who delight, he delights in mercy he just doesn't show it he delights to do it and, and therefore our fear of him is such that it, it, it brings forth a reverential reverence you see there is forgiveness with thee says the psalmist that thou mayest be feared but this man's fear was nothing like that. He was just just terrified of this Lord who he considered to be an absolute dictator and a giant and, and an arrogant and a difficult man to get on with. And that's where his fear was. Behind his fear was none of those other qualities for which our Heavenly Father has made himself famous. Jesus exposed him, absolutely exposed him. He called him in verse 26 wicked and slothful Matthew 25 verse 26 wicked and slothful now the Greek word here for wicked really doesn't do duty for the intrinsic evil in flesh as it's biased towards sin it really is a word which means to be hurtful and to cause pain and that's exactly what he'd done not only by not using his talent but by his distorted picture of the Lord it was hurtful and it caused pain Jesus Christ is not harsh nor severe nor does he ask anyone to do any more than he's done himself nor does he gather up the harvest in which he has extended no energy himself whatever he does not do anything like that as a matter of fact rather than harsh and severe He's loving and he's kind and he's forbearing. He's understanding and he's sympathetic. He has he gave his life. If except a seed fall into the ground, it will abide alone. He was prepared to go to the grave, to be buried in the tomb, in order that it might sprout new life. So he went through agony to do that. And the harvest that he comes to reap is the is the is the sole the sole outcome of what he himself has done in all the labour he expended on our behalf it is hurtful and causes him great pain to be considered otherwise and this is what this man had done that's what the word wicked means slothful 
slow and indolent you know the apostle says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12 when he uses this term for slothful says it all he says in Hebrews 6 and verse 12 that ye be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises for when God made promise to Abraham and you know you go back to Abraham's life Abraham made, might have made a lot of mistakes and he did make a lot of mistakes you could never say he was slothful a man that left everything not knowing whither he went and spent a lifetime living in a tent with no certain dwelling place and waited and waited and waited with years of faithfulness to a promise that seemed to be far off is not slothful and this is what this servant was slothful now the Lord said at the least he could have done the very least in verse 27 of Matthew 25 the very least he could have gone to the exchanges the word means table or counter keepers the table keepers it's just the same today as a bank you know a lot of people they don't want to work they've got plenty of money so they so they instead of they mightn't just leave it in their bank account but they, they do make the effort to actually get up they go down to the bank and they actually go through the, the, the procedure not very painful to make out a few forms and transfer their money to make a little bit more interest I mean that doesn't take a lot of effort now the Lord says that, that you could have done that at least now brethren and sisters how, how do you think that would apply in ecclesial life you see talents which are given ability is like capital which you're given uh, to to uh, to use to, to make more you, you've got capital you can make make money money makes money so the Lord has given us ability we, we can use that to edify the ecclesia to increase the understanding of our brothers and sisters to convert strangers to the truth to do all sorts of things that, that we can actually make a profit with the Lord's, Lord's God-given the, the God-given ability which we have got through our Lord Jesus Christ but if we think we have no ability you know what we can do is something that's very very easy to do it, it takes very little effort and yet it is profitable and will get us into the kingdom of God we can go to people who have ability and offer to help in whatever small way we can we can at least do that do you know brothers and sisters you can expend your talent profitably by just standing in a group and listening with an appreciative ear to someone expanding the Bible the fact that you were there just listening showing your interest and maybe thanking the brother afterwards can have wonderful wonderful inspiration and encouragement to the brother concerned to continue nothing inspires a Bible student more to know that what he says helps somebody else to be told he's a wonderful speaker and wonderful stuff he had he must have a good brain is meaningless but to say that what he has said has helped you to the kingdom is absolutely without price anybody can do that you can encourage you can help you can give out a pamphlet you don't have to have ability most people can walk and you can give out a pamphlet if, if you've got no other ability to that you will get the same reward as a man that's got five talents it won't be any different all that God asks is faithful use of what you've got so that's what he had to do now because this chap had done nothing the command is in verse 28 strangely 
Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. Now, the immediate reaction of that uh, in, in another place where it says, but Lord, he's got ten talents. Yeah, that's right. Why, why, why would you want to give him more, you see? Uh, why give him more? Well, the point is, brothers and sisters, that it's, it's true that experience in good increases ability. You, you, may, you may, for example, uh, you may start off in life uh, and come into the truth and find that you have, by God's grace, maybe two or three talents. Do you know that by the use of those two or three talents, you could finish up at the end of your, your, your mortal existence in the truth as being a five-talented person? Because experience in good increases in ability. It's especially true in the application of the understanding of the word. Now let me show you this. In Matthew 13, understanding the Bible increases understanding of the Bible. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, In the, in the chapter which deals with a lot of the parables Jesus said this Matthew 13 and verse 11 He answered and said unto them Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven But to them it is not given For whosoever hath to him shall be gathered, given And he shall have more abundance But whosoever hath not From him shall be taken away Even that he, as the Greek has it, seemeth to have Now note that He that hath to him shall be given more abundance. Now, we say again that this is especially true in relation to understanding the word. Why is it? Well, it's so simple. Because we've all come to appreciate in whatever measure, small or large, that the Bible is interrelated. It is interwoven. We, we, we boast to our interested friends about that. We say, hey, the Bible is interrelated. We, we, we can show them in Genesis 12 that the gospel was preached to Abraham by quoting them Galatians chapter 3 verse 8 it's related and then because it's related in that way that will lead us to other passages concerning Abraham and other passages concerning the gospel linked to his name and so on and so on and it goes on increasing because the Bible's related so when we come to understand one part of the Bible and commence to study another we don't finish up with two separate portions of the word adding their own amount of, of, of understanding and ability but we find it doubled because they're related and that's what Jesus meant and so here is a, a question therefore that when we uh, exercise our true abilities in the truth however small they may be they increase and in verse 30 finish the parable he says cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth Brothers and sisters, you know, in a certain sense, as Luke 17 verse 10 says, we're all unprofitable servants. That is, unprofitable in the sense that we have contributed something over and above that which the Lord really has done. Now, there's nothing we can do to contribute over and above that. There's nothing we can do to reduce uh, the extent of the Lord's life and his sacrifice. And there's certainly nothing we can do to increase it. Whatever has needful to be done for us to be saved has been done. The question is how we respond to that. But we can't add or take away from it. 
and yet we can be profitable in the sense of giving back to our Lord that which is his own you see in that parable in verse 27 thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchanges and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury in other words with profit so we can be profitable servants inverted commas if what we return to the Lord is his own we can't be profitable servants in any other way in every other way we are unprofitable servants but if we can extend our Lord's influence extend our Lord's words extend the love of our Lord to others and increase the appreciation in others of our Lord's goodness we are profitable servants not because we've made any profit because he has and that's the point isn't it you see you remember the case when the Apostle Paul and Barnabas had to separate because they had a difference over John Mark and that difference caused a great deal of heartache to them, to the both of them. In the end of his life, the Apostle was able to write to the young man Timothy and to, and to tell him to, to bring Mark with him because he said, he's profitable. No, no, he didn't say that, did he? He said this, he's profitable to the ministry. You see, John Mark had redeemed himself. But he hadn't redeemed himself because he had outside the truth in some way proved himself to be a man. No, he was profitable to the ministry. In other words, it was the force of the word, the urge to preach it, the appreciation of what was being preached, who it was being preached about, that caused John Mark to get back on track so he became profitable to the ministry and we can be the same brothers and sisters if through the ministry of the word the fact that we are brothers and sisters of Christ that we do really appreciate what he's done for us and want to extend his influence among others and to see his honour uphill and to see God praised because of what God did through him if we can extend that sort of feeling among others then we will be profitable to the ministry. And that's the important thing. So that is all uh, determined from here on. That we won't be boastful if we've been giving a lot of ability. We'll be humble about that, knowing that it's God-given. Nor will we can go around complaining about the, the talented brethren in the ecclesia because they're so much better than us. Let's all recognize that Jesus has given to every man as the parable says not just some everyone has got ability somewhere brothers and sisters find it and use it Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look.
if you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.